God underscored his mercy and his compassion to Moses. And I'll tell you, the more you and I understand God's sovereignty, the more we will see of God's mercy and his compassion, and we will glorify him for his sovereign, his free, caused by nothing outside himself, mercy to sinners. Paul is writing to people who knew the Bible, or at least he certainly knew it and expected them to, and as I said, he quotes it repeatedly in these chapters. And we want to look at uh, Exodus 32 and 33 briefly because he underlines, he underscores two very important truths for us, uh, Israel's sinfulness and God's glory in freely bestowing his mercy. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a six-part message titled, A Righteous God and a Savior. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Before I have you turn to Romans 9, I uh, would encourage you to, to find Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45. We've been going through Romans and uh, we've had a, a break for a couple of weeks, but uh, we're in Romans 9, but I want you to turn to Isaiah 45 and uh, focus our attention on who God is for just a moment. You know, we worship a sovereign God, the one and only true God. I proclaim to you today the one and only true God. There is no other. He answers to nobody. Our God, the psalmist says, is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. 115th Psalm. 135th Psalm, whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and in earth. Ah, Lord God, Thou hast made the heavens and the earth. Nothing is too difficult for Thee. He's the omnipotent El Shaddai. He not only can do, He does do whatever He wants. And that's the foundation of who He is. You know, Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said uh, he described him as the blessed and only sovereign, the Lord of lords and King of kings, who alone possesses immortality. He's the only one worth worshiping. That's what we say when we say, thou art worthy. He's the only one. If you're worshiping any other god, and I know there's a lot of false gods floating around, and they don't have to be just little idols. They can be just little figments of your imagination. I know a lot of people have their own personal god today, but we're talking about the only true God, and He alone is worth worshiping. That's why we gather to sing praises to Him. And that's why the Bible closes when John got that glimpse into heaven. What did he hear and what did he see? But all of heaven saying, Thou art worthy. You created everything, and because you wanted to, because of your will, everything exists and was created. Why did God create? Because He wanted to. He spoke the heavens and the earth into existence. I tell you, it's the very foundation for our worship that God is sovereign. He is most high. He answers to nobody. And the good news 
The reason we talk about the good news, if all we knew about God was that He is sovereign, that He does whatever He pleases, that wouldn't necessarily be good news. But the good news, the great news, is that He is a righteous God and a Savior. That's what Isaiah says. Isaiah 45, I want you to read with me, just look at it, verse 21. Declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this from of old? Who has long since declared it? Is it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none except me. You know, as I think about where we've been in Romans, that's what he's been driving at, that there is a God and He is righteous and He is the Savior. Oh, praise God that the Sovereign One is a righteous God and a Savior. No wonder we rejoice. No wonder it is good news. And then read on. Turn to me. And be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, thy, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him and all who were angry at him shall be put to shame." In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. Now, is that teaching that all will be saved? Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. Is that teaching that? No, it's not at all. It's proclaiming salvation to all. And all will one day recognize who He is. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess of those in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. There will be no question anywhere in the universe who Jesus Christ really is and who God really is. All will recognize, but the Scripture teaches that few, relatively few, will be saved. The broad road leads to destruction. Many are those who are on that. Don't just go with the crowd. Jesus said, strive to enter by the narrow gate. The way is narrow and the gate is small that leads to life, and few are those who find it. So he's not teaching universalism here. Or is he saying, look at verse 20, uh, 25, the end, of the, the end of the chapter there. Is he saying that all physical descendants of Israel will be saved? In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. Is he saying that? No, he's not. And that really uh, provides the backdrop for Romans 9 and the question that's in Paul's heart. Because he's written of this tremendous gospel for eight chapters, and then you remember, and you can turn over to Romans 9 and be thinking with me, that for the first, uh, the first few verses of it, he said, I, I am so heartbroken when I think of Israel. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. He sent his son for us. And yet, by and large, Israel, God's promised people, His nation, was turning their back on Christ. And he said, as he thought of all their privilege, and then he thought of how 
they were by and large turning away from their promised Messiah, his heart broke. He said, I could wish myself a curse, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren. What a heart he had for his kinsmen according to the flesh. And that raised the question then, and he had heard this question, I'm sure, many times. He had wrestled with this question. He's been a veteran now, you know, when he writes Romans, he's been out at it for quite a while. He's had probably every question. You know, when you do talk to people about Christ, you find out that uh, there's not a whole lot of new questions. I remember when I first began to proclaim Christ, whether it was personally, and it was. I didn't start publicly proclaiming Christ. I started as nervous as... Uh, anybody probably has ever been as I thought about talking to someone else about my Savior. But as I began to break through that fear and began to talk to people about Christ, I just assumed that they would have questions that I had never heard of. That I, You know, I found out very soon, and it's still true today, that uh, there are you hear the same questions time after time. And Paul has dealt with these questions, but that's not to mean that they're not legitimate questions. They don't need some answering. So he raises the question in verse 6, and I'm basically just giving us a little bit of review to see where we're at. Has God's Word failed? I mean, God made all these promises to Israel, and yet Israel, by and large, has rejected Him. Has has the word of God failed? And he says, it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. And then, verses 6 through 13, he explains, he explains that it isn't a matter of physical descent. Uh, they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. God sovereignly and graciously chose Abraham out of sinful humanity. He said, I'm going to bless you. And then he sovereignly and graciously chose between Abraham's two sinful sons, Ishmael and Isaac. He chose Isaac. And then he sovereignly and graciously chose Jacob, not Esau, the twins that Isaac's wife, Rebekah, had. And uh, when I say sovereignly and graciously, I mean this. God did what He pleased, and He did it in grace. None deserved anything from his hand except judgment. Ever since Adam sinned, if we got what we deserved, if we got justice only, if we just had righteousness, well, we'd be judged. But he sovereignly and graciously chose Abraham out and then chose Isaac out and then chose Jacob out. And he did so out of mercy and grace. And it wasn't according to their physical birth, he points out in verses 6 through 8. Is not the children of the flesh, verse 8, who are children of God, but children of the promise are regarded as descendants. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. No. In Isaac, your descendants will be named. Do you remember? We've been seeing that even as we're studying the book of Genesis. And then look at verse 11 when he thinks of the twins. It wasn't according to their works. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose, according to His choice, might stand not because of works, but because of Him who calls. It's not because of birth. It's not because of your works or your track record. Well, what is it then? Well, look at verse 11. In order that God's purpose, according to His choice, might stand not because of works, but because of Him who calls. Now, 
whenever God asserts his sovereignty in salvation, whenever God's sovereignty is clearly proclaimed, man quickly, and I really should say sinful men, because we are all sinners and we have this twisted and depraved and darkened mind that we're dealing with. And so man raises objection. That's not fair. That's not fair. That God isn't righteous or that how, that somehow, uh, tramples on God, on, on man's responsibility and man's autonomy. And that's what are raised here. Paul knows that's going to be raised. It's not, those aren't new questions. When you hear people uh, respond to who God is with those kinds of questions, or when your heart raises those questions, those aren't new. Paul has heard them many times, and he raises them and answers them here. Uh, now, you know, those questions, the implication is what? That God should save everybody. The men deserve it. <laughs> we all deserve salvation. That's the implication behind it. And that man knows better than God. Those are the implications. Now, people don't say that, or at least reverent people don't. People say anything today, I guess, I'd have to say. But uh, that's the implication behind those questions. And so Paul answers the questions. Verse 14 and verse 19 uh, kind of highlight where he begins uh, the first objection, that's not fair, God's unrighteous, and he answers that in verses 14 through 18. And then, the fact that this somehow tramples on man's responsibility, that men are just puppets, that God's, that this is fatalism, and how can God hold man accountable? He answers that in verse 19, and uh, I would say 19 through 23, but I'd really probably better say 19 through 33. I mean, just the rest of the, the balance of the chapter. But we want to look today at verse 14 and following briefly and uh, just see Paul's answer to these questions. He's heard them many times. I'll tell you one thing. When he answers these questions, he answers them without in any way compromising God's sovereignty. And we should be careful to do the same. Uh, God doesn't need defending to begin with, but it's legitimate that we give answers to people's questions. There are, uh, there's, there's levels of legitimacy in questions, I'll tell you that, and we'll talk about that more next time. Some questions are asked with the right heart, some with the wrong heart. Some questions uh, deserve more attention than others. But just the same, Paul answers these questions, and he does so by citing two Old Testament texts. Two scenes in Israel's history, both from the book of Exodus. And by the way, this section, chapters 9 through 11, is just littered with the Old Testament, isn't it? I mean, if your Bible highlights it in all caps, uh, like mine does, you see them just visibly. You can see chapters 9, 10, 11. There's 27 quotes from the Old Testament in these three chapters. Uh, so it's important to see what he's talking about. Even in chapter 9 here alone, there are 12 references to the Old Testament. Now, if I were to break it down, and I'd like to, and, and uh, we're not going to finish it, I can tell you that right now, but if you just look at this paragraph, 14 through 18, first you have God's righteousness in showing mercy, verses 14 and 15. God is righteous in His showing of mercy, and He's already established that in the book of Romans, the basis for that, but that's the hardest question, really. That's the question that moved heaven and earth. That's the question that sent God's Son to the cross. How can a righteous God 
show mercy. Can he just say, it's okay? Oh, no, he's righteous. So he's going to show how a righteous God can show mercy in verses 14 and 15. Then in verses 17 and 18, he's going to show God's righteousness in bringing judgment. On the one hand, he shows mercy to judgment-deserving sinners. On the other hand, he judges judgment-deserving sinners. And in both both situations, he is righteous. And you say, well, what's the difference? What's the criteria? What's the distinction? Well, verse 11, we already looked at. In order that his purpose, God's purpose, according to his choice might stand. Not according to works, but according to him who calls. That's one statement of it. But he restates it right in the middle of this paragraph, verse 16. It doesn't depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. A clear statement of salvation. It has nothing to do with what I can offer God. It has everything to do with God being a God of mercy. Now let's look at His mercy. He says, what then? Shall we say, is there injustice with God? May it never be. Unrighteousness and God don't belong in the same breath. And Paul answers this like he's answered several questions that he brings up through Romans. Never. May it never be. Then he quotes Exodus 33 when he says, He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. You see, Scripture doesn't teach a cold fatalism. Scripture teaches a sovereign God of mercy and compassion. And he goes back to Exodus 33. Exodus 32 through 34 is a very key portion of biblical history. And God underscored his mercy and his compassion to Moses. And I'll tell you, the more you and I understand God's sovereignty, the more we will see of God's mercy and his compassion. And we will glorify him for his sovereign, his free, caused by nothing outside himself, Mercy to sinners. Now, turn back there, Exodus 32. Take a look at it because uh, Paul is writing to people who knew the Bible, or at least he certainly knew it and expected them to. And as I said, he quotes it repeatedly in these chapters. And we want to look at uh, Exodus 32 and 33 briefly because he underlines, he underscores two very important truths for us, uh, Israel's sinfulness and God's glory in freely bestowing His mercy. But let's pick it up. I think you know the situation. If you don't, you'll catch on to it pretty quickly because it's a famous chapter in Israel's history. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, Moses had gone up on the mountain for 40 days. And we're told that Israel, the sons of Israel, couldn't get near the mountain, but they could see the glory of the Lord up at the top of the mountain as a consuming fire. But when he delayed to come down, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. Make us a God. You know, Israel was tempted to not like the one and only true God. He was leaving them alone for too long. 
He, he was too distant from them. And so what'd they do? Well, made their own God. Well, a lot of people do that today. You're tempted to do that today. If you don't like the God of Romans 9, if even as I've said some of the things that I've been telling you about the one and only true God, you've gone, I, I, oh, uh. well, you can make your own God. Go ahead. They did. People do it all the time. My God isn't like that. So they make their own God. If you don't like the sovereign God, the God who freely bestows mercy, you can make your own God. That's what Israel did. You don't like the God of Romans 9, 6 through 13. How could he choose Abraham or Isaac or Jacob? How could, how could, well, just make your own God then. Come, make us a God who will go before us. Now, the Lord had been doing that. The Lord had been doing that. I read in Exodus 13, the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light. The Lord had been doing that, but they wanted their own God to go before them. And Aaron said to them, tear off the rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who's brought you up from the land of Egypt. You can go ahead and make a God if you want. You'd be a fool. I mean it. You make a God other than the one true God, and you're going to have a little golden calf. How ridiculous to make this calf and say, this is your God. This is what brought you out of Egypt. And how man-centered, too. You know, they said, what a, make us a God who will go before us. Because as for this man, Moses, as if Moses had led them out of Egypt. But, you know, you start getting your eyes off the one and only true God, and we live in a culture today that is very man-centered and wants to find a human explanation for everything. How was it that Moses was able to lead these... Uh, a runaway slave who came back. I mean, how did this work? And we're always into man, figuring out what... And uh, we've got a lot of little golden calves floating around, and it's a, it's a shame to exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image. But that's what Israel did. That's what Israel did. You want your own God? You'll have an impotent God. You'll have a ridiculous God. That's what you'll have. But that's what Israel did. And I'll tell you, now, uh, and you know, it wasn't just the people, it was the leaders. Aaron, Aaron was involved. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, A Righteous God and a Savior a message from our series in the book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. 
The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the Ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us for our live online Sunday worship service at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. You can find us live on YouTube by searching for SW Bible Live or go to swbible.org and click on Live Stream. We also broadcast the service live on the radio on True Talk 800 a.m. It's best to check the 800 a.m. program guide for up-to-the-minute schedule adjustments. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. God said, I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I'll have mercy to whom I'll have mercy. And Paul cites this in Romans 9. If you struggle with Romans 9... You really haven't understood Romans 1.18 through 3.20, where Paul labored to show there is none righteous, not even one. There's none who seeks for God. What do we deserve? Judgment. That's what we deserve. Even though they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks. They turned away from Him and exchanged the glory of God for an image, the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. That's what man is. That's what you and I are. But God in amazing mercy and grace saves. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, A Righteous God and a Savior. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. <laughs> 